Good morning, New Life Church. My name's Chris. I'm one of your pastors uh, here at New Life, and I'm really excited to see that some of us have not succumbed to the Black Plague that is going around Asheville right now. I know my family has, has had it uh, the last week, and so they're, they're actually at home arresting today, and somehow, miraculously, I have not gotten the Black Plague and so my prayer this week has been, God, spare me, get me through Sunday, and then strike me down if you must. But give me, allow me to get through Sunday, and then I can crash for a couple of days if I have to. But so far, keeping the fingers crossed, all good, no black plague here. Also, super excited, just want you to know, this morning we started our His Story, our history class, just four weeks, teaching folks how to share their faith in Jesus in just authentic, non-creepy ways. And uh, so we've got 40 to 50 of you guys right now meeting upstairs, learning how to share your faith in Christ. And so super excited about that. I'm going to preach to all you sinners who didn't sign up for that class now. And uh, actually, there's something else. Somebody reminded me, uh, there's something going on tonight that's kind of like a cultural sports thing. What is that? What? Is there something going on tonight? Nothing? Uh, Final Four. No. <laughs> the, the Super Bowl, right? The Super Bowl. And so I'm just going to assume that tonight we're all patriots, right? Are we all patriots? No. <laughs> I got a lot, of, a lot of booze. The reality is I don't have a dog in that fight. I don't really care. I typically pull uh, for the underdog. So I'll probably be pulling for uh, the Eagles. Uh, listen, one more, one more thing I just kind of want to lay uh, before you before we get cranked up in the message. If you're new here, if you're first time, maybe you've been here a time or two or three or four, whatever it is, if you've never been to one of our Journey 101 luncheons, uh, today's your lucky day. So we have it today right after this service, 1215 upstairs in our living room. So we'll have uh, free firehouse subs. We got child care taken care of. And so if you've never uh, been to one of our Journey 101 deals, would encourage you to come today right after this is over. We'll be out way before the Super Bowl. Uh, we usually only spend about 45 minutes just kind of telling you who we are as a church and where we feel like God is, is leading us together as kind of a faith family. So again, would encourage you, you don't have to sign up, just go straight upstairs. We'll take care of you. Got lunch for you, got child care for you. It'll be a good time. Now this morning we're going to be wrapping up our all-in message series. And so for the last month or so, uh, we've just been talking about uh, the fact that becoming a disciple of Jesus doesn't mean just going to a church service like this two or three times a month. It doesn't just mean putting up a Bible verse on your social media account um, occasionally. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those things. But Jesus always invited people to become his disciples by going all in with him. And so if you read the Gospels, if you read all the New Testament documents, that's just his pattern. When he invited people to be his disciples, he invited them to come all in with him. And so we've looked at several specific ways that we can go all in with Jesus in 2018. And this morning we're going to wrap the series up by talking about Another way that we can go all in with Jesus. No man is an island. You guys have all heard that phrase before. That's a phrase that's attributed to a man named John Don. I think I'm pronouncing that name right. I could be butchering it. But anyway, he was a 17th century English author who happened to be a Christ follower himself. 
And what that phrase means, no man is an island, is that none of us, none of us really thrive alone. And so if you study human history, if you study anthropology, all those types of things, this has just been an understood and accepted principle since the beginning of time. That is, until recently in American culture or in Western culture. See, apparently at some point, our culture began to celebrate individualism. And so we're all familiar with cultural phrases like, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? Grown man, don't cry. Watch out for number two. (laughs) No, watch out for number one. Watch out for numero uno. And so we've sort of ended up with this John Wayne-like culture where we begin to look at relationships and at community as unnecessary or maybe even as a weakness. And I think that, listen, I think the advent of social media, and listen, I use social media, I'm on social media, uh, I'm not anti-social media by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think that social media has allowed us to further isolate ourselves by thinking, look, I've got community I've got relationships. I've got friends. Look, I've got 500 Facebook friends. I've got 300 Twitter followers or whatever it is. And so we kind of get deceived into thinking that we have relationships, that we have friendships, that we have community, when in reality we don't have what the Scriptures talk about at all in our lives. And here's what, this is interesting. Here's what research has begun to show. The more social media interaction that we have, the more alone we tend to feel. In fact, one study that I looked at specifically this week showed that people who spend two hours or more per day on social media feel more isolated, alone, and depressed than people that spend less time on social media. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense, at least to me, because you're connecting to people on social media. You're commenting on their pictures. They're commenting on your status, all that kind of stuff. But underneath all of that, Here's what I really think is happening, what's going on. That is is such a shallow form of connection. It's just such a superficial form of relationship that it's, it's just like a tease that leaves us hungry or more hungry for the real thing. So it'd be, it'd be kind of like, imagine if, I thought about doing that this week, imagine if I was up here and I just had this massive gas grill, okay, and I was, I was cooking some, some steaks, some fillets on there. Actually, I'm a real man, so not a gas grill, uh, a charcoal grill. Okay? So I would have, I'd have charcoal because I'm a real man. And some, some of you guys are thinking if you're a real man, you'd have a green egg, right? But I, I don't have a green egg. I'm not that masculine yet. And so, but just imagine I had this massive grill up here. I was just grilling these delicious tender fillets. Or maybe for all my vegetarian friends, maybe it's like a, what's good, like a portobello mushroom you know, seasoned or something like that. Anyway, just imagine something really tasty in your world. And I'm up here and I'm grilling it and I'm talking about, man, I'm going to give you guys this steak. As soon as I get done, finish cooking it, I'm going to give you guys this. I'm going to become like the, the, the steak Oprah. Steak for you, steak for you, steak for you. Everybody gets a steak, right? Everybody is going to get a steak. And I just begin to waft that smell out there, right? It's getting close to lunchtime. You know, it's almost noon. You can just smell it. You can hear it sizzling, and you're so hungry. And I tell you, I'm gonna, about to bring one out to everybody. And I come down there, I come off stage, and I just, I just let you smell it, and I pull it back. Right? You're like, ah, oh, 
you just, you just want to eat it so bad. And I'm like, nope, just kidding. I'm bringing it back up here. That's kind of like what we do with social media, right? We just, we just get a flavor of it. We just get the scent. We get the aroma of it, but it doesn't satisfy us. It's not enough to actually satisfy us at our core level. And that's, that's kind of what we do in our spiritual life. Now, th- that shouldn't be surprising to us that we're created this way by God, that we're created as relational people, as people for community. Because if you go all the way back to Genesis, the first book in the Bible, God tells us that we're created in His image, right? That's the doctrine of Imago Dei. And our God is a relational God. I'll prove that to you. In Genesis 1, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in Genesis 1, God says, let us, let us make man in our image. So the very first chapter of the very first book in the Bible, we get a picture of the triune God. The Father, the Son, the Spirit existing eternally together in perfect harmony, perfect relationship, perfect community all within God himself. That's who God is. That's the very essence, that's the DNA of who God is. He is a relational God. You'll also notice in the Genesis creation account that God creates something and then he'll say what? He'll say it is good. Right? So he creates something, he says it's good. Create something else, say it's good. But then you get to Genesis chapter 2 and he looks at Adam and what does he say to Adam? So it's not good. <laughs> it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates Eve. He creates relationship for Adam. He creates community for Adam to do life in. From the very beginning, God has been a God of relationship and community. That's always been God's good design for his people. And that's been the pattern for humanity ever since. Wherever humanity exists, community springs up naturally. That's why you can travel anywhere in the world and you'll have maybe uh, people from this tribal group, they'll live on this side of town. People from that tribal group, they'll live in this neighborhood over here. People that move there from this country, they tend to just kind of congregate in this part of town over here. We naturally, as human beings, we gravitate towards community and relationships. That's why every big city that you ever go to is going to have a little Italy and a Chinatown, Right? People tend to kind of just congregate and form relationships and community around people that they're comfortable with. We've even all experienced this probably in middle school or high school, haven't we? The jocks, right, the athletic guys, they all kind of have their own little social group, right? They got their lunch table over here. You got the rednecks, right? They, they all got their table over here. and They're talking about, you know, going mudding and camping, fishing, hunting, all that kind of stuff. Then you got the goth kids, Right? They got their own table right, with the black pants and the black eyeshadow. Everybody got their own little kind of cultural, community, relational deal there. We all naturally gravitate to that. Right? We're created that way. We want relationships. We want to know people. We want to be known by people. We want to be accepted by people. Why? Because we are image bearers of a relational God. That is who we are. We can run from that, we can hide from that, but we can never escape that truth. It's in our DNA. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up or turn it on your device. Head to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, that's where we're going to park together this morning. And we're going to start in chapter 12. Now this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in a port city called Corinth. And listen, this, this church in Corinth in the first century was really really struggling. 
Uh, they, were, they were struggling to shake off uh, different sin patterns in their lives. They were struggling with disunity, infighting among each other within the Christian community. Um, honestly, Corinth was just a, it was a really, really messed up church. And uh, whenever I get discouraged, I can just read uh, the letters to the Corinthians and I instantly feel better. Uh, but listen, listen to what Paul says to these young believers who are just really struggling to flesh out their faith in Jesus in a, a messy world. Uh, he says this, beginning in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. But if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Here's what Paul was saying to these young believers who were really just grappling with their faith in the messiness of a really sinful, dark environment and culture. Paul was saying to them, you need each other to become what God wants you to become. And that's our first truth this morning. We need one another to become the people, the men and the women that God desires for us to become. And Paul uses the human body as a picture of how much we need each other as believers. So Paul basically says, look, if your, if your hand were to say, look, I'm a hand, I'm just a hand, so I'm really not a part of the body. Paul says, man, that doesn't make your hand any less a part of the body. The body desperately needs its other parts to function well. Not to be graphic this morning, but if I were up here and I started just removing parts of my body, what would happen? Well, a couple of things would happen. The, the, if I just, let's, let's say, for example, I just lopped off my hand up here. Now, I threw it off to the side of the stage, that hand isn't going to grow another body and walk off, right? Apart from the body, it's going to do what? It's going to die. It's going to wither and it's going to die. The second thing that's going to happen is it's going to make the rest of my body more vulnerable and unhealthy. And eventually, if I keep lopping off enough body parts, it's eventually going to kill me. The same principle is at play in the Christian life. Look, believer, you have gifts and talents and abilities and insights that I don't have and that I need. And I have talents and abilities and insights that you don't have. So let's not rob one another of this body, this great family and community of the, the, the kind of the design that God designed us to live in relationship and community. Now, I can almost, I can almost feel some of you just mentally uh, rolling your eyes right now. Like, Chris, okay, dude, we get it. You know, we've heard this. Similar message, you know, three or four times since you've been here last year. Yeah, you're right. You caught me. Um, but listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to keep pressing us into this because I think our effectiveness in the Christian life really depends on it. A relational God created relational people, and until we accept that and press into that, we're never going to experience our faith walk like God designed for us to experience. It's really that simple. So here's what I know. Some of you are struggling right now in your Christian walk simply because you're trying to do it alone. 
You're struggling. You can't figure out how to get it right. You're frustrated at yourself. Maybe you're depressed about it. And it's all rooted in the fact that you're trying to do this thing alone. This mission, this battle that God has invited us into was never designed to be lived and fought alone. I mean, think about how asinine trying to do the Christian life alone is. It'd be like if you were, just imagine if you were a soldier in an army and there you hear, there, listen, there's just this ferocious invading army coming. So just imagine like um, a barbarian army back thousands of years ago. And there's hundreds of thousands of them, and they're coming to sack your city. And you've got a stronger army. You've got a stronger commander on your side. You've got better artillery and weapons on your side. But you just decide to John Wayne it and go out there and be the hero by yourself and fight that barbarian army on your own. What's going to happen to you? You're going to get slaughtered in unimaginable ways. And then people are going to write books about how stupid you were. And yet that is exactly what so many of us try to do in our spiritual journey. Like we're idiots so much of the time. And look, I'm guilty of this at times in my life myself. So hear me. I'm not not trying to throw darts at anybody. I'm just saying that is not a smart way to live your Christian life. And that leads right into our second truth this morning. And that is this. Isolation is lethal. Isolation is deadly. And here's here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that some of you have believed the lie that you are so messed up that isolation is your only option. So like your thought is, man, if people really knew me, if people really knew who I was, if they really knew what I did, if they really knew my thoughts, then they wouldn't accept me. They would reject me. And our enemy all the while feeds us these little lies. And he gets us every day just a little more isolated, just a little more isolated to the point where he has us right where he wants us and he goes in for the kill shot. And the apostle Peter in his letter said that Satan, our enemy, is like a prowling lion looking for somebody to devour. And so Peter gives us this This picture, like we have this enemy, and he operates like a predator, like a strong, wise, seasoned predator with thousands and thousands of years of experience. And we just think, I got this. I don't need any help. I got this on my own. I don't need any help. Like, is there a more foolish thought in the world? Or is there there a more ingenious lie that we could actually believe? Just this week, uh, I got an email from, from one of you guys. I asked permission to share this. Uh, that just moved to Asheville a few weeks ago. And so this sweet lady, the first thing she says in the email, she says, hey, I've been coming to New Life uh, two weeks now. Love it, but I need help. I need you guys to get me connected into a community group. I'm new here. I don't have family here. I don't have friends here. I feel lost here. I know that I have to find community. And I love this phrase that she used, and I'm just going to shamelessly steal it because I like it. This is what she said. I know that a lone ranger is a dead ranger. Isn't that good? A lone ranger is a dead ranger. This week I spent a little bit of time uh, studying the hunting patterns of uh, wolves because that's what pastors do. We uh, just kind of sit around and try to think of uh, good illustrations to help drive home 
uh, spiritual truths so that they'll stick in your heart and your mind and you'll be able to apply them when you leave here. Uh, Much like lions, wolves, you guys know they hunt in packs. But this is what I found interesting. Wolves thrive on three main things. They're very successful hunters for three primary reasons. They thrive on patience, confusion, and scare tactics. So the thing that I found really fascinating is that wolves aren't in a hurry. When they're hunting their prey, they're not in a hurry. They don't have to kill the caribou today. They're happy to track them for days or even weeks. So here's what they'll do. They'll kind of track this pack of caribou. They'll stay behind them for days or weeks, and they'll wait to an opportune moment, and they'll just they'll try to spook one of the caribou at the back of the pack. So they'll just kind of run up and bump it or something like that, and the thing will just it'll, it'll freak out. It'll get scared. And so what the caribou will do is it will break away from the back of the pack in an attempt to run to the front of the pack and get in the middle to find a safer location. And as soon as that caribou steps away from the pack, what happens? You know what happens? The wolves just pounce on it and they just mercilessly brutalize this poor animal. One moment of confusion. One moment of confusion. One second of isolation and it's game over. It's game over. And the scriptures use these analogies. They paint these word pictures for us of the human body or of prowling predatory animals to drive home this truth that, believer, we need one another. So, friend, let me just encourage you, don't believe the lie. You are not safer in isolation. You cannot do it alone. You are created to walk in this life in relationship to your Creator and in relationship with like-minded people on the same journey and the same mission that you've been given by God. And here's the really unique thing, and I think a beautiful thing, about Christian community. Almost every form of community that you find out in the world is based on something like race, something like political parties, something like hobbies, whatever it is. But throughout history, Christian community has always defied those principles. In fact, the first church we studied last year in the book of Acts, this first church was just this ragtag band of people from almost every single known ethnicity, culture, political background, and social economic group. The only thing that they and many of us have in common is that we've experienced the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? That's one of the things that I absolutely love about New Life is we are made up of white-collar folks, blue-collar folks, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, just recently Middle Eastern folks, former atheists, former Buddhists, former Wiccans, Catholics, you name it, united under one thing, that is the name of Jesus Christ. It's exciting to be redeemed into this community of faith, this family for the purpose of living out God's mission to see disciples made here in Asheville and around the world. Now, what does this look like practically? What does it look like? Have we, how, how can we know what this looks like so that we can experience, experience it ourselves? The book of Acts gives us an incredible snapshot into what this looked like. I want to read it to you. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screens behind me. But this is Acts chapter 2, which was written by a Greek doctor named Luke. And I want you just to hear his description of the early church, the community, how they lived their lives. 
This is Acts 2, beginning in verse 42. Luke says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, Of course, we find that now in our Bible. That's where it's recorded. And the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed worked together, right? So there's this idea of community, relationship, this idea of they were doing life together. All who believed worked together and had all things in common. And they were even selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, we're not going to spend a ton of time here this morning, but isn't this just an astonishing snapshot of the early church? These men and women just living life together, eating together, praying for one another, caring for each other's needs, physical needs in practical and real ways, engaging the world and the community, their neighborhoods around them with such power and love that Luke says people were coming to faith in Jesus every single day. This community was powerful, and it bled out into the world outside of their community. And from that, I want us to see this. This is our third truth this morning. We need community to complete our mission. We need community to complete our God-given mission. You see, we've been given this, this massive mission by Jesus, right? When we become his followers, he says, look, go and make disciples. And church, I'm just going to be honest with you. I can't do this alone. I can't. Like, I, I need people. I need men, godly men and women. I need a tribe around me to remind me why I'm doing what I'm doing, I need people to help me not quit when it feels like it'd be a lot easier to walk out of here and go be a fireman or a school teacher or something like that. And I need people to just hold my feet to the fire when I'm discouraged and to to pray for me. I need a tribe of people around me to say, look, man, we're not going out that way. We're not going out like that. We've come too far. God has paid far too high a price for us just to sell out and play church on Sunday morning and try to build a crowd. I need that. And I would just guess that you need that in your life as well. This week on uh, social media, we asked some of you to share your experience with community here at at New Life. And uh, so I just want to share a couple of your responses because I thought that they were were good and insightful. Um, One lady says this. She says, group, Wow, so many thoughts. We talk, we laugh, we cry, we learn. We study, sometimes pushing and pulling or dragging each other through more complex, difficult concepts that I imagine we overthink while shamefully oversimplifying others. We celebrate, empathize, we pray for each other's needs. We are varied in ages and stages in our lives and try to walk alongside when it's something that we have experience with. When one of us has an urgent need, we ask, can we jump? And then we ask, how high? And we pull our resources, whatever that looks like, to get them through their crisis. I have, this is important, listen to this. I have no family near me, 
but I feel like these people were handpicked for us for this moment in our lives. Truly blessed by this group. And then she finishes by saying, and cookies. We eat a lot of cookies. And so that's, that's a really important component to, to any good community. Uh, another gentleman shared this. He said, shortly after we started our group, we invited a couple we occasionally saw and talked to at our big worship gatherings. They immediately said yes. Later, they told us that they were ready to leave the church and would have if we hadn't asked them to come to our group. Many people want to belong to a group of church friends to feel more a part of the whole corporate church family. I encourage every leader to seek out and invite as many people as they can to join their group and then train new leaders to increase the number of people that will feel a closer connection to our church family. Church, I can't do this alone, and neither can you. Do you know what Jesus' method of making disciples was? Did he build a, a building and call five or 600 people in every Sunday and preach for an hour and then go home? Was that his method of making disciples? No. He invited 12 guys to come alongside of him and they lived life together for three or three and a half years. Jesus built deep relationships with 12 guys and then they went and they changed the world. God is a relational God. Jesus is a relational Savior. And the only way that we're ever going to thrive in our spiritual journey is when we are in relationship and community. We only thrive in community, relational environments. There's a pastor, author by the name of Jim uh, Putman, and uh, he has this quote, and I want to share it with you. This is what Jim says. He says, we have divorced the method of Jesus from the message of Jesus while expecting the results of Jesus. Let that sink in for about 10 seconds. We've divorced the method of Jesus from the message of Jesus while expecting the same thing to happen in our lives. In other words, we want to see the same results that Jesus and his disciples got without having to do what they did. Right? We want to see our city change. We want to see people come to faith. We want to see lives transformed. But we want to do that by playing church for an hour on Sunday morning. Instead of investing in relational discipleship and community. How utterly foolish is that? Like, Jesus, yeah, you had to do all that stuff to make disciples, but we figured out a better way. Jesus, you sit there and you watch us. We've, we've, we're enlightened now, Jesus. We don't have to do all that messy work of relationships and community that you did because we're better than you. We figured it out. We figured out a new method where we just have to come, we have to sit, we have to listen for an hour on Sunday morning, then we can leave and just assume that we're disciples and that we're making disciples. It's foolishness. And by the way, all of the statistics bear this out. I looked it up this week. Listen to this. Over 80% of people who leave the church are not connected in any way beyond Sunday morning. 80%. That is staggering. 80% of people who leave the church are not connected in any way relationally outside of attending a worship service with several hundred other people and walking out and going home. Now, church, what that tells me is that if you don't find community beyond Sunday morning, it's just a matter of time before you drift. It's just a matter of time. 
It's a matter of time before you get distracted, before you get discouraged, before you get isolated. And Satan will do to you what he knows how to do best. He will deceive you and then he will devour you. Look, Satan spends 168 hours a week deceiving you, lying to you, and isolating you. Who's got your back? Who's got your back? Who's praying for you? Who knows what's really going on in your life? Who's checking your motives? Who's holding your feet to the fire and becoming a disciple of Jesus and making other disciples of Jesus? Church, where's your tribe? If you think you've got this thing alone, you are already losing and you don't even realize it yet. And so here's here's the deal. What we're doing right now in this big room, we're gathering as the faith family of new life to do really important things like worship and pray and open God's word, apply it to our life. We practice generosity together. Listen, all of that is important. All of that is critical. But I want you to hear me say this clearly. If you are counting on one hour a week, one worship service a week to help you to become the person that God has called you to be and to accomplish the mission that he has sent you on, you will fall flat on your face. Not if, just when. It's not a question of if. Remember what I just said, 80%. If you're not connected beyond this worship service, 80% of you eventually will isolate yourselves, you will drift, and our enemy will take you out. Not if, just when. Now, I want to be completely honest with you because I never want you to come back to me and say, Chris, you lied to me, man. You sugarcoated it. You tricked me into signing up for something. Then it wasn't really what you said it would be. So real talk here, okay? This isn't always going to be easy. This isn't always going to be easy. Getting in a small relational circle can be messy. You know why? Because people are messy. Because you're messy. Because life is messy. Because we don't live in a Disney movie. So not every experience you have with this is going to be a positive one. But a lot of them will be. So is there some risk involved in this? Yes, of course there's risk involved in this. But what in life that's worth having doesn't involve risk? Think about it. Every beautiful thing in my life involves some level of risk. Marriage, risky (laughs) Kids, risky, following Jesus, challenging, right? Going to the mission field like we did, friendships, all of that stuff is risky. It's challenging. But hear me say this, it is all completely worth it. Completely worth it. Totally and completely. As we close our time together this morning, I want to take a minute or two just to to kind of wrap up our all-in message series and just kind of tie a bow on it. And I want to do that by laying before you kind of the whole challenge. So we've had kind of four elements that we've put before you and said, hey, look, you do these four things to go all in with Jesus in 2018. So I just kind of want to recap that with you because, look, I really believe that's what Jesus is inviting you into in 2018. He is inviting you to go all in with him this year. So no more halfway, no more partway, no more some of the way, no more playing the game. If you're tired of just dipping your toe into the life that God made you for, 
If you're ready to maybe say, I'm, I'm ready just to, to jump in the deep end of the pool with both feet in 2018. If you're ready for that, here are the four elements of the all-in challenge. The first one is this. Immerse yourself in God's work, God's word at least three times per week. We're not telling you to spend five hours a day, become a Bible Greek scholar, you know, seven days a week. We know that's not realistic, but anybody can do three times a week. Just, just pick your times. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, whatever it's going to be, I'm going to devote three slots of my week to just getting alone with God, immersing myself in His Word, either by reading it, listening in it on an audio book, whatever it is, three times per week. We even put some resources on our website, some Bible reading plans to help you do that. The second element, if you want to go all in with Jesus in 2018, is to become a person of prayer. And so those three slots, when you're reading the Word every week, I'm just going to encourage you to add 10 or 15 minutes of prayer right before you read, right after you read. Just spend that time alone with God, immersed in His Word, talking to Him in prayer. The third element to going all in with Jesus in 2018, we talked about this last week, get three people in your circles, in your life, in front of Jesus this year. Just like the friends of the paralytic we studied last week, right? They were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend in front of Jesus because they knew Jesus was the one who could heal their friend. So who in your life, family, friends, coworkers, classmates, neighbors, who in your life can you get in front of Jesus in 2018? We're not asking you to do 30 people, 300 people, just three. You can do that by sharing your story of what Jesus has done in your life. You can do that by bringing them to church where they'll be exposed to Christ in a setting like this. Just do whatever it takes and get three people in your life in front of Jesus in 2018. And then the fourth element to the all-in challenge is this. Find your tribe. Find your community in 2018. Check out four or five community groups if you have to until one feels like home. If you're not ready to take that step yet, take a smaller step. Go to one of our men's uh, or women's Bible studies, short-term studies. Go to one of our enrichment classes. We got 50 people up there in one right now. Just begin, whatever you do, to take those steps towards developing relationships in small circles outside of this big gathering for one hour on Sunday morning. So read the Word three times a week. Pray three times a week. Get three people in front of Jesus in 2018 and find your tribe. Church, you do those four things with consistency in 2018, and I promise you on the authority of God's word that your journey with God will begin to flourish in exciting ways. And don't you want that? I know that's what I want in my life. I want my life to count. I want my life to matter. I don't want to waste away my life. So church, let's go all in together this year. I really believe God wants to do amazing, astonishing things in and through our lives in the city in 2018. Let me pray. Father, you gave it all for us. You held absolutely nothing back when you sent Jesus for us. And so Father, would you forgive us? Would you forgive me for not going all in with you at different times in my life. Father, my confession is that far too often I settle for just a halfway walk with you when you have so much more 
for your children. So God, would you help us by the power of your spirit, would you help us to go all in with you in 2018 for our good, for your glory. We ask it all in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. Amen.